Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Good morning. You know, we've been going through a lot in our country, and I just thought I'd ask you a question that it seems appropriate in this place. Um, How did you guys vote this week? Who did you vote for? We'll just start over here, and we'll go through. <sighs> hey, we're going to be looking at the book of uh, 1 Kings for the next few weeks, and we're going to discuss a guy by the name Elijah. And we've titled today's message, Learning to Trust God. But we've chosen Elijah because he's a very unique character, and he comes along at a time when his nation uh, really, for many years, stayed in turmoil. And we see an example of someone who really made a difference during that time. Before we get going, let's... um, Sorry, I broke my glasses this week, so I'm borrowing Carly's reading glasses. Yeah. I'll pay you back. All right. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I welcome all he has for me today. By his word, he guides me. By his spirit, he strengthens me. By his will, he's transforming me. I am his workmanship, his unique work of art, and may his will be done in me today, and I receive it by faith in... All right, good job. Well, every once in a while, somebody will come up on the scene who is brave, who's bold, bold enough to stand in the gap. And what they do is they change the course of human events. Like, I don't know if you're like me, but I have some people that I really uh, admire who have made a big difference in the world. Take number one, and I'm sure a lot of you feel this way, but there's Superman who has the nice cape and the nice S on his shirt. And then there's uh, Wonder Woman. I mean, who doesn't want to fly around in an invisible jet with like a gold lasso doing work for justice? Or there's Wolverine. Remember that guy? What a great character with his kind of spiky things going around and scratching stuff for justice. But uh, one of my favorites, all leading back all the way to my youth, was, remember this, uh, the Wonder Dog fighting against Boris and Natasha? What a powerful figure uh, in the world. Well, you can say, okay, Dave, that's a lame joke. Well, you know what? It's over, so let's forget about it. But when I think of people that really have made a difference, I, I think of someone like the Apostle Paul who could have lived a much different life than he did, but he was captured by Jesus in his heart, and he went to the whole world, and he was in danger time after time and again, but his life and his courage changed the world. I think of recently in our history, Harriet Tubman, who was born a slave, who eventually became an anti-slave abolitionist who started what we call today very famously the Underground Railroad. She knew that it was the right thing to do and willing to risk her life to do so to save the lives of others. 
Even more recent history, you have Martin Luther King Jr. and his leadership in the civil rights movement. Someone who his speeches will ring in our hearts at daily and his, his commitment and love and his devotion which ultimately led to his assassination in 1968. Those people are real heroes. And I tell you, Elijah is one of those folks for the whole world because he was willing to stand up during a time of unrest in his community, unrest in his nation, and he was willing to stand up and speak truth to power and to do what was right. One of the highest motivators for us, and you'll find also in Elijah, is the motivation of love. Elijah loved God and he loved his people, and therefore it motivated him. You and I love our families. We may even love our friends, our country, our culture. And when we really love someone, it will move us on or inspire us to do things that we thought that we could never do. Now, Elijah was such a person. He was bold, he was fiery, and he was ready to do what God told him to do. Listen, love, out of this kind of love, true, powerful faith is formed. Out of this kind of love, it's formed by first learning to trust Jesus in the little things. And true faith is not just believing God for the big things. True faith is learning to live day by day, okay, building up, ready for life's great challenges. True faith is found in living day by day, day by day, trusting in Jesus, readying us for the great challenges of life. But you can't have one without the other. Lord, thank you for this our time together, and we ask, Lord, that you would give us wisdom, and Lord, that we would take to heart your words. We need your words in these now and the days to come. Lord, there seems to be so much going on and so much uncertainty. We ask, Lord, that um, your light would shine upon us, strengthen us, and build us for your name and for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, love inspires boldness. Let's look at 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. Now, Elijah, the Tishbite, I, I don't know, I mean, I thought I came from a weird name of a town, but he was a Tishbite, from Tishbe in, Gal, in Gilead, and said to Ahab, Ahab was a king, as the Lord God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain nor in the next few years except by my word. He was speaking to the king Ahab. Now, just a little background is important for us, okay? Background is, is that his country was a mess. It was in trouble. The country was unified. Israel was unified under King David. But when David died, he was passed on to Solomon. And Solomon prayed to God and said, God, I want wisdom. 
More than anything else, I want wisdom. And so he became very wise. He was building the temple, and God was blessing him. But he started making all these political alliances. He started making a lot of money, too. But gathering wives to himself, hundreds, I mean, really, hundreds of wives, and most of them come from different cultures. So there was a lot of paganism added into what he was doing. And he filled the land with altars and statues to foreign gods. Things got even so bad that as he was building the temple, he resulted or resorted to slave labor in the building of the temple. Well, he dies. And his son, son Rehoboam arises, and he becomes king. And his advisors, his young advisors, told him to lay it on thick. His older advisors said, listen, the people will follow you. Just lighten up on the workload, okay? Your dad wrote us hard, and if you'll lighten up on us, everyone will serve you. And so he talked to his younger friends, and his younger advisors said, no, Tell them that, you know, my dad gave you whips for your back, but I'm going to give you scorpions for your back. Sounds like a punk, right? Anyway, it split the country off, and so it split into two kingdoms. It was 12 tribes of Israel. Now it became 10 tribes to the north, two tribes to the south. You had Israel to the north, Judah to the south, and Rehoboam arises as the king and the leader of the northern kingdom, okay? And things didn't really go well from there. He built a competing temple so that the people wouldn't have to go down to the southern kingdom to worship God. But it seemed that every king that followed him just got worse and worse and worse. Twenty kings in all before the Assyrians took over and brought into captivity the ten tribes of the northern kingdom, 20 kings, all of them had a scorecard of zero when it comes to God. None of them were winners in his book. The uh, southern kingdom had eight good ones, 12 bad ones. But the northern kingdom, zero. And Ahab, by the time that he came on and he ruled for about 22 years, Ahab was said that he was one of the most evil kings in Israel that had ever had. Because this is what he had done. He went off and married a Phoenician princess who was steeped in the worship of Baal. Okay? Well, what happened there? Well, she didn't like the prophets of Israel. And there were quite a few of them. They, they served the, the living God. She didn't like them. And so she set out to have them killed, as we're going to read in the coming weeks. But what she and Ahab decided to do was to replace the worship of the God of Israel, the one true God, with that of Baal. And that became a problem for God and ultimately a problem for them. You see, here was the criteria for kings. The criteria for kings was to first worship the God of Israel and him alone. No other gods. A king must be completely loyal to the Lord. Also, the king was to rid the land of Israel from idolatry. 
Idolatry had always been a problem. It would continue to be a problem because it seems that they were never fully satisfied, only for short times, satisfied with God alone. And they kept flirting with the foreign gods. And finally, the criteria for the king is that he was to be faithful to the covenant, the covenant that God made with Israel. And it was basically this, if you do what I say here, I'm going to bless you. If you don't, there's going to be trouble. Alongside the rise of the kings, you had the rise of many prophets. There were prophets before, but they proliferated, and they were there. The role of the prophet was to speak on behalf of God. They were covenant watchers. They were people who would speak on behalf of God, and, and they had criteria as well, that if what, something they said didn't come true, they weren't a real prophet. If they said something that led people away from God, they weren't a true prophet. They had to watch over the covenant to make sure that God, the people, and the king, and the administration was following after the covenant. They would call out idolatry and injustice, not only to power, but to the people. And they would challenge people, everyone, to repent and follow the Torah and Yahweh. Elijah was loyal to the Lord. Elijah knew that it was God's land, and he was listening to God, and he was ready to do what God told him to do. Look at the second part of verse 1 again. He says, as the Lord of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Ahab, as we note, and Jezebel were trying, okay, to change Israel's worship to the Baals, or Baals. Baal was a thunder god. Baal was a god of rain. And Asherah, they put up the Asherah poles, was his sort of consort, that of nature. And instead of recognizing that it was God's land and it was people calling out to him and being humble, they brought in other gods because she hated the prophets of Baal. I mean, you think of one of the most despised people who has ever lived. Her name is Jezebel, right? Like you never hear anybody raise, naming their kids Jezebel. Oh, how cute, your little baby. What's her name? Jezebel. <clears throat> really? Yes, she, she's very feisty. No. <clears throat> it's just one of those bad names. It's like Hitler. Who's that? Oh, it's little Hitler. Oh. That's not a nice name. But God says, no, you're not going to do this in my land. This is my land. These are my people called out by my name, rescued out of slavery, brought here, and I have a covenant, and I'm going to rule this land. And there, the world is going to know that there is no such God as Baal, and that Baal has no power. And God's going to go through his prophet to let everybody know, and we'll find out more about that next week. But Elijah was bold. Elijah was courageous. He went straight to the king and let him know how it was. But he needed refinement. And that's what we're going to look at today, is that you have this fiery person who's called by God, but God is going to refine their faith, first in the little things, and then with the big stuff. Trusting Jesus with the little stuff. Look at verse 2. We have a lesson from the birds. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, 
Turn eastward and hide in Kiriath Ravine, uh, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have decreed the ravens will supply you with food there. Okay? Now, all of a sudden, he's in talk, speaking to the king, rebuking the king, and then he says, leave, go over here to the other side of the Jordan. All right? And I'm going to send you to this nice little, uh, little valley, a little ravine over here, and I'm going to tell the ravens, who I own, by the way, to bring food to you. Now, I don't know what his thought was, but I'm thinking, you know, like, well, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. What am I eating, God? I mean, I don't know, Lord, but I have a very delicate constitution here. I mean, have you seen what ravens eat? Have you seen that? They're, they're scavengers, you know? I mean, I can handle, Lord, I can handle Chef Boyardee, uh, microwave spaghetti. I, I mean, I can handle that, but I don't know about, you know, something from Chef Raven's table or, you know, roadkill. What's it going to be? Immediately, you have this guy who's ready to confront a king, but God says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you out into the wilderness, and I'm going to feed you, and you're going to have to trust me for it, and I'm going to do it the way that I'm going to do it. You see, verse 5 says, so he did what the Lord told him to do, and he went to Kirith Ravine, east side of the Jordan, and stayed there. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And when it says bread and meat, <clears throat> it's simply a word that can be translated when it says bread to just food in general. He, they could have been bringing berries and other such greenage and all. I don't know how much bread was available or if the, you know, the, the ravens were back around the corner you know, in a cave going, I don't know. I just, uh, my claws, I don't know how to knead this bread. I mean, what are we supposed to do? But they fed him every day, every day, what, just what he needed. God could have done that, okay, in any way that he wanted to. But he's letting him know that I own the land, I own the rights to the water, I even own all the animals, and they work for me. You see, they follow my commands. What a lesson for him. Because Elijah was learning that God would take care of him personally, even though his nation was under judgment. Even though his nation was under judgment, he had promised to take care of him personally. God knew all the water, all the weather, all the creatures, everything. And God knows to how to set sustain his subjects in troubled times. You know that? In troubled times, God knows how to sustain his people. I would say that we are living in very troubled times right now, would you say? We have questions about our safety, right? Our security, right? What's going to happen to the economy? Will there be riots? Will there be violence? Will there be a greater divide in our country? The very core of our beliefs, is that going to maintain? Will there be liberty left? What's going to happen to me? Right? 
Those are all real big questions that have been weighing us down for quite some time. It doesn't matter which side that you're on. But God wanted Elijah to know that he could trust him for his daily necessities. And Jesus wants you and I to know that too. God wanted Elijah to know that he could trust him in his daily necessities, and Jesus wants you and I to know that as well. Look what he says in Matthew, a very familiar passage, but very poignant today. He says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, or what you shall wear. Isn't life more than food? and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow, they do not labor, yet... I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. You know, that's a big deal for us, isn't it? It's not like you want to think of clothes all the time. Now, I want to think of food all the time. I mean, whoever came up with the food network was a genius. You mean I can not only eat food, but I can watch it too? Yes. What about my clothes? It's easy to take all of the little stuff and it becomes very important to us. Not like we're just sitting around, you know, thinking about it and dreaming about it. Well, I, I do. Thinking about it all the time. But it's, it's the idea is that the mundane can become the most important thing in our lives every day. When he says in, to Elijah, hey, I'll take care of it. Jesus speaking to his disciples, Jesus speaking to the followers says, hey, listen, life is a, there's a lot more to life than just this. I know it's important. I know you need it. I know you need food, shelter, and clothing. You need warmth. I know that. I do. But I want you to know that life is more important than this. And learning to love me in the midst of that is really important really important. He says in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will take worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own, don't you think? Say amen to that? It does. But yet, we want to spend our time trying to figure out what's going to happen and what's what's going to happen in the world and what's going to happen to me and what's tomorrow going to look like, what's next week going to look like, what's next year going to look like. He said, today's got enough trouble of its own. You don't have to look anywhere else. You see, faith is formed. It's formed... First, by learning to trust Jesus in the little things, the the mundane things, the things of daily life, okay? But 
when we trust him with the day-to-day things, we're being built up, ready to face life's greatest or life's greater challenges. All right, we took a lesson from the birds. In the same vein, we find a lesson from a widow. What we learned with the birds is that God would take care of him personally, and God would do so, and God has resources that are beyond our own imagination. Now, he's going to encounter a widow in the next few passages, and God will teach him this, is that he will use his faith, okay, to bless people around him. All right, look at verse 7. Sometime later, the brook dried up, and because there was no rain in the land, then the word of the Lord came to him, go to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've directed a widow to supply you with food. This is important because he was on the east side of the Jordan River, and then he tells him to go all the way west, all the way to the coast of the Mediterranean between Tyre and Sidon in the Phoenician territory of which Jezebel was a native. It was her country. God sends him all the way over to meet what some would, be, would consider an insignificant widow and her son. So, verse 10, he went to Zarephath, where he came to the town gate, and a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water, a jar, so that I may drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, bring me Uh, Bring me, please, a piece of bread. And as surely as the Lord God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. And I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son so that we may eat and die. Wow. What a sad day for this gal, huh? We're done. We have famine in the land, and we don't have any food. We're not told that she's an Israelite, that she is a Yahweh worshiper, but she's done. It was a tough day. Listen, widows, as we mentioned before, were at the far end of the vulnerable spectrum. Widows and orphans, kids were so vulnerable and open to abuse, and open to starvation. They had the least power to provide for themselves. God knew her need and was going to meet it with his prophet. And so what does he do? He says, don't worry about it. Go home, make me some bread, okay, and bring it to me, and then make some for yourself and your son. This is what the Lord says to do, okay? The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the Lord sends rain on the land. See, Elijah had grown in his faith to know that God would take care of him. God would provide. He hears the word of God, and he says, go over here. He understands that even though this widow is right now thinking that this is the end of her life, after this we starve to death. He's able to say to her, go ahead, 
and have an act of faith. I want you to trust me and trust that what I'm saying is true to you. Go ahead and make me some first, and then you make some for your kids. Now, at first you would think, that's arrogant. That's terrible. How could you say something like that? But you see, God was using him to be a blessing to her, to feed her, and to build her faith. Your faith is contagious. And your faith, my friends, your faith is very, very important because it can build the faith of those around you. That was important. In a time of drought, faith would grow. In a time of trouble, faith would grow. What happened? Well, God said, listen, you're going to have enough to eat until it rains. There's going to be plenty. The only thing is you're not going to have an abundance. It would be nice for him to say, yeah, I'm going to drop off. We've got a wagon coming over. We're going to drop off, you know, 50 bags of flour and, you know, two big jars of oil. And you should be fine. Just, you know, let me know if you need any more. No, he did it day by day. <clears throat> it's hard for me to understand why this would happen. Because it seems so extreme, doesn't it? I don't know. I mean, if I were Elijah, I would get up every morning, early in the morning, and run in there and look in the pot. Oh, good. I guess it's not going to rain today. Good. Uh, But there's something else going on here. You notice how he takes him out into the wilderness. You notice he takes him and he, he lodges him at a widow's home, probably a very humble place. And he says, I've got food for you every day. But you know, every day, what happens to them? Their faith is being built, isn't it? Every day, every day, every day. I know it's not good to compare people to dogs, but if you knew how much I love dogs, you would think it's probably an upgrade. (laughs) We had an event the other day at the house where back gate, between the busyness of all of us running around, the back gate was left ajar, and I had come home, and Carly left, and I was working on this stuff, and she comes home, and she says, where are the dogs? I said, well, I guess they're in the backyard. It's pretty quiet. Well, they had been gone, and they'd been gone for quite a while, so I got in the car and started looking all over the neighborhood, because they have come to, to know that where they get their food in the morning and in the evening. It's not like these two are going to go out and kill anything or, you know, strike out on their own and meet up with a pack of wolves and, you know, really tear up the wilderness. They're really dependent on, upon a, of us for their survival. So I looked around. I was just saying, I'm going to go home and tell Carly, I, don't, I can't find them. I don't know where they are. And just as I was pulling up, it was dark. Uh, a stranger's car pulled up, and there emerged my dogs into Carly's arms from the car. And she said, yeah, I have an app for the neighborhood. I just put their picture on it. And uh, turns out they had gone over to someone's house all the way blocks and blocks away <laughs> and came in for snacks and hung out and watched TV. I guess that's what they did. 
So we get them home, and they're like, boy, you wouldn't believe it. It was just awesome. You know, we went over to this lady's house, which is really nice. And I'm thinking, you idiot, you worried us to death. You see, domesticated little bitty dogs need owners for their protection. They're not going to survive that well. They're not going to do that well. They're not going to thrive like they would being in a home. And we are created in such a way that we thrive when we remain connected to and dependent upon God. You say, well, God should make us independent. Well, I'm sorry. I'm not the one who made us. It seems that when people veer away from God, their lives don't get better. They need to trust in Him daily. And learning to trust for your daily needs, the things that might seem mundane, are so important. Are so important. It's important for us to learn that. And Elijah learned that. He learned that I will listen daily for the Lord. I will watch daily for the Lord. And I will receive my sustenance and everything that I am from the Lord daily. Because that's the way God wants it. That's the way God wants it. God uses faith to build up other people around you and to build up their faith. God was growing Elijah's faith and as the widows as well. All right. Trusting God with the big stuff. A crisis occurred in the life of this widow and Elijah. Her son became ill and her son became sick and he died, and there was a crisis. And this is what she said to Elijah, which a lot of people say in a time of crisis. What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? This is a typical reaction during a time of crisis, isn't it? Whose fault is it? Well, it's probably my fault. Maybe it's my, the sin that, that isn't revealed here. Have you come here, man of God, to, to punish me? Is that why you're here? All types of lame accusations fly in the face of a crisis, doesn't it? Well, it was this, it was this and this. If we had only done this and this and this. I love it when people blame the church for stuff. I listen to a lot of commentators and podcasts and so forth, and, and sometimes people will really get down on the church and say, well, if the church was really blah, 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 I'm like, shut up. You're a flawed human being. What do you know? You can't even tell what's going to happen tomorrow. Knock it off. You can blame a lot of different people, but it doesn't really mean anything because God was going to build both of their faith again. And God was going to build the faith of somebody that was going to change a nation and confront 400 prophets of Baal. Verse 19, he said, give me your son. And he took him in the arms and carried him up to the upper room, laid him on the bed. He cried out to the Lord. He didn't really understand why. But then he did something strange of desperate measures for desperate times. He stressed himself out over the child and he, and he prayed, Lord, let this boy's life return to him. He did it three times. 
Now, I don't know if he learned this in some prophet school, probably not. It doesn't seem like a very conventional thing, but I didn't have the faith of Elijah. God had been feeding him every day. He had been listening to the Lord every day, and so his first response was to do this. Guess what? It was the right response. Now, I'm going to tell you to go out and, and find, you know, go to a funeral home and find somebody and try this out. But what the point being is, is that God, during these three years, was refining the faith of this guy. And he was building the faith of this widow. To, so much to the point that when the boy died, he said, I'm going to pray for him. And I'm going to persist three times. And what happened? The boy regained his life. The boy regained his life. Verse 24 said, the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you're a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is truth. She may have had her suspicions. I mean, it had to be pretty amazing that, that the food never ran out. The cover wasn't bare. But to see her son get sick and ill and be raised again, well, she said, I can see now. And small acts of God influence you and they influence your life and the people around you. But the day comes when a crisis arises and God uses you to show great faith. It builds your faith for the things to come and it builds the faith of those around you and puts away doubting. That's important. That's important in a time like this. Right now, we don't know what our future holds, do we? But we know the one who holds our future. We know the one who holds our future. Jesus, as we've learned, will sustain us in hard times, but we must trust him in the hard times. In doing so, we teach others to do it as well. Our faith is formed, how? It's formed by learning to trust Jesus in the small things. And true faith is not just believing in the big things, but being built up day by day in the small things with Jesus, the daily activities, so that we're ready when the great, great challenges come. Now and in the days ahead, the Lord has work for us to do. I don't know how you voted. Please don't tell me after church. I'll mock you. No, I won't. But I know this. For how, whatever you think is going to happen, know this, that God has a plan. He has a plan in the little things. He has plans in the big things. And he has work for us to do, okay? Here's the, here's the, here's the takeaway. <clears throat> Trust him now and today and watch what he does tomorrow. Trust him now and today and watch what he does tomorrow.
It's okay to have our faith tested. It's okay for God to do his will. It's okay for us to wonder. But at some point, we have to give it up and trust. Father, thank you for us to be together, to be challenged by Elijah, to be challenged, Lord, even circumstances of our lives. To see you glorified in this world, Lord, is powerful. We pray that we would see you glorified in our lives, in our church, our community, our country. That our faith would grow, not stagnate, not dissipate, not retreat, but advance. And Lord, we ask this for your glory, for your name, and for your kingdom, and for your people's sake. In Jesus' name, would you please stand? This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So, until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.